Grace to you this morning and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God, even our Father. I want you to turn with me, if you would, this morning, please, to the book of Mark, chapter 5. We're going to be looking at several um, incidents, narratives in the Word of God this morning. Primarily, we will be looking at one, which is the deliverance of the demoniac at the area of Decapolis. But we're going to be looking at several more just passing through, and I want you to always remember that when you're looking and reading the Scriptures, and the primary focus is a revelation of God. The primary focus of everything that we're going to be looking at this morning is going to be a revelation of the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about Him. A lot of men, a lot of preachers have used this text that we're going to be looking at about the demoniac this morning as some kind of something to give you some psychological uh, relief. And while that might be so, that is not what we need to be looking at in the first instance. And we need to always remember that. This, this is a revelation of God. Our shorter catechism teaches us that the Word of God, first of all, is principle. thing that it teaches us is what we are to believe concerning God. And then the duties of man in light of what we're looking at. I've chosen this particular scripture this morning because of the season that we're in. We're in a time uh, or a season when people are coming home. Families are coming together. You're going places to be with friends and you're going places to be with family. And something that the Lord said to this man struck me as I was reading it in my study in Mark chapter 5. It was after Jesus had brought healing to this demoniac and 2,000 pigs, which was a big blow to the economy of Decapolis, 10 city Gentile states that make up this area in which Jesus is at, are not happy about the fact that they've lost all their pigs. And Jesus is not welcome, therefore, even though he's done a marvelous thing in the life of this man, he's asked to leave. And he's just made a trip across the Sea of Galilee and he's getting in a boat to go back because he's not welcome by the people of the area of Decapolis. And the man who had been delivered says these words, asks these words, says these words to him in chapter 5 verse 19 of the book of Mark. And he did not permit him as this man had asked to go with him wherever he was going. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Go home to your friends and tell him, tell them what great and marvelous works, marvelous things that the Lord has done for you. And tell them how he's had mercy on you. Tell them how he's had compassion on you. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we come before you once more. Very grateful that you've spoken to us through Christ Jesus our Lord. And we pray, God, that you would 
Help us not just to glean something and make mental sense to things to stay even though we need that. But we pray for the power of your Holy Spirit to overshadow us, to fill us with a knowing of Christ, a knowing of you, Father, knowing your work in us, Holy Spirit, a revelation of who you are and a revelation of your great love and mercy and compassion toward us that would birth love and greater love and greater devotion toward Christ our Lord and that our heartbeat would be to do what this man wanted to do, follow Christ wherever he goes, tell of his wondrous love and mercy. Work that in us today. Make your word to us a living word. And we know that it is a living word. May it produce fruit to the glory of your name, to the honor of Christ's name, to the edification of your church, bringing salvation in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. These words Jesus had spoke, He Go home, he says to the man, to your friends, and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion upon you. He's speaking these words to a man of which most of us know the story of him. He's a very unclean man. He's a man that's a wretch. Paul speaks of himself as a wretched person, a wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? He struggles with that himself. But as far as the Jews concerned, this guy is a quad unclean, if you will. He's unclean in four ways. He's unclean, number one, because he has unclean spirits. He has devils in him. He has demons in him. He's unclean, number two, because he's a Gentile. He's unclean, number three, because he dwells in the midst of tombs, lives in the midst of dead people. And he's unclean, number four, because he has all these pigs around him. And pigs, there's 2,000 pigs, according to the account that Mark gives us in Mark chapter 5. So it was a pretty messy, nasty, stinky place. Can't you imagine that? That he's at. It's an unclean place. The Jews thought this man very unclean. And this was a man that was, that Jesus was speaking to, that had been driven to something beyond madness. He'd farther than mad. He'd lived among the tombs. He made his bed his sleeping place in the caves and among the tombs. And according to Matthew chapter 8's account of this, he was so violent, so fierce, that no one could pass by the road going by the graveyard because he might attack them. Everyone was afraid of this man. And some of the people had even tried to bind him. The account gives us a description of that with chains and with shackles. But he, in his superhuman strength... The demonic power working in him had torn the chains asunder that he had broken the shackles all to pieces. And then other people had tried to tame him. There was no one with strength to overcome him. And in the second part of the verse 4 of that very chapter, a proper rendering of, of that would be that no one had been able yet to tame this man. They couldn't. He was worse, if you will, than a wild animal. He was worse than a beast because a beast can be tamed. You can tame a wild animal. 
But this man would not. His fierce nature would not yield to anything. No one, no one could subdue this man, could tame him, put him in chains. And he made his, he made himself miserable. He made himself miserable. He ran in the midst of the mountains and in the midst of the tombs night and day, crying out, crying out, howling, if you will. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the stories about this man around the ten city states of Decapolis where Jesus is at among the Gentiles and a few Jews? Can you imagine that? Howling at night. The stories that were told to the children. Howling and fearfully cutting himself with rocks, flint. He was torturing his own body. Torturing himself. And then, (laughs) what a story. And then Jesus Christ came. Jesus comes and He said to the devils, come out of Him. Come out. And the man was delivered. He was healed in a moment. And he fell at Jesus' feet. This wild man. This irrational, untamable, fierce man. He fell at the feet of Jesus. A reasonable, rational, intelligent man. And even more than that, he fell at the feet of Jesus. A convert to the Savior. A convert. And so, we look at that again. And after that it happened... And Jesus was getting into the boat. And the man who had been possessed in verse 18, been possessed with demons, he begged him that he might be with him. Go with him. Be his servant. Do whatever he wanted. And Jesus said, no, he wouldn't permit it. Go home to your friends. And tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And how he's had compassion upon you. That teaches me something, a very important fact, I think. True religion, Christianity, does not break or sever the bonds of family relationship. True religion doesn't do that. Superstition does that. A concept of virtue which is actually the enemy of righteousness The concept of virtue that produces the idea that if I am devout, pious, or faithful, then I have to live a solitary life. I'm not gregarious. I don't mix with a herd. And as a result of that, you've got your hermits who live in their caves. You've got your nuns in their nunneries. And you've got your monks in their monasteries. I read something that Spurgeon said about the monks in their monasteries and the nuns in the nunneries and the hermits in their caves. And he said this, and I agree with him. The Puritans would say this. Friend, if you are what you profess to be, if you are a true servant of the living God and not a hypocrite, as I guess you probably are, if you are a true believer in Christ, then go home. Go home to your friends. Go home to your family and show what great things God, Christ, Jesus our Lord has done for you. Christianity 
Christianity, my friends, makes a husband a better husband. It makes a wife a better wife. And it does not free me from my duties as a son. It makes me a better son. You, a better daughter. A better daughter-in-law. A better son-in-law. A better father-in-law. A better mother-in-law. That's what Christianity does. Christianity makes my parents better parents. True religion. True religion cements a household. Brings it together with a bond that death itself cannot sever. It can't sever it because we're bound together in the bundle of life with our Lord and our God reunites us on the other side of the river when death separates us for a moment. And I know you're thinking, oh, he's forgotten about Matthew chapter 10, verses 36 through 39, where Jesus said, well, the enemies, your enemies will be the members of your household. I brought a sword. And fathers will be against sons, and daughters will be against mothers, and in-laws will be against in-laws. And the man who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. My friends, the enemies of your household, may that may be true. They may be your enemies. But they're going to be your enemies because you love Christ more than you love father, mother, sister, or brother. And you take Christ with you wherever you go. And you love them so much you tell them about Christ. You tell them about what He's great and wonderful things He's done for you because it is, as we sung, the wonderful words of life and your concern for them. And you love them. You love your enemies. You pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you and you give yourself to them. And while they may be your enemies, you are never theirs. You're never theirs. Never, never, you will always, Christian, honor your father and your mother. Well, you don't know what they've done. You will always honor your father and your mother. Mother, Paul says, it's the first commandment with a promise. That it might be well with you in the earth and that you live a long life. And so... We are in a season, having dealt with that. We're in a season when some of us are going, some of us are coming home to friends and to family. And this man was going home by God's command to his, to his friends. Go home to your friends and to your family. And he has a story to tell. If you're a Christian, you have a story to tell. I have a story to tell. You do. Go home. We want to go home. We say, well, what are we going to talk about? We want to sing Christmas carols. Yeah, we do. But we don't want to sing Jingle Bells. We don't want to sing Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. We don't want to sing Here Comes Santa Claus. No, we want to sing songs of Christ. We want to have a theme. We want to, if we're Christians... We go home with our hearts 
desiring a theme to tell, to talk about, to sing about. And that's it's what I'm going to suggest to you. Your theme should be in the remainder of time that you're going to be spending with families. I needed to preach this before Christmas. But there will be time that you'll be spending with your families in this holiday season. So what I want to tell you to do is go home to your friends or your friends that come home to you and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how the Lord has had compassion upon you. Tell them your story. Tell them. I wanted to... Take some notes and tell why and what and how we ought to tell this story. And we may get to them all, we may not. But the first thing we want to look at is what we are to tell. What is it we're to tell? Or do you even talk about it? Sometimes we don't. We'd look at that. I want to tell you first of all, that your story is a tale of personal experience. It is. Here was an experience. A personal experience. Go home and tell everybody what great and wonderful things the Lord has done for you. You think that man has not experienced something? That was a wonderful experience. A new feeling. A new feeling. We're not going home to preach. Not going home to take up a doctrinal subject and lecture and orate. Trying to bring others to our particular view. No. Don't go home doing that. You're not going home with the various new doctrines that you've learned lately and try to teach everybody all these various new doctrines that you learned, even though we're going to look at doctrines in just a moment. You can't get away from that. We may, I suppose, if we please, I'm not going to hinder you if you want to do that, but I pray you would listen to me. You're not commanded to. What we believe is a very, very, very important thing and Doctrine is a very important thing because it is what stirs the action in my heart. But we're going home now and we're going to tell people what we felt. And I know a lot of Presbyterians have a problem with feeling. (laughs) But you shouldn't. It's not there by itself. There's two things you can never separate, and that is experience and doctrine. You can't separate them and never try to do it. We're going to talk about what we felt. We're talking about when we go, what you really know to be your own. Not what great thing you've read and given mental assent to. Not what you've seen in some great congregation on TV that was happening Not what John Bunyan experienced. Not what Rutherford said, even though John Bunyan may help you to discourse and Rutherford might help you to be more clear in what you feel. But we're going to go home 
and tell what the Lord has done for you. What's He done for you? Man. What has He done? And I want to note something. There is never ever a more interesting story than the one which a man tells about himself. What God has done for you. That's why Amazing Grace is such a wonderful song. It's John Newton's testimony. It's what I was. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved what? A wretch like me. A slave trader. Binding 20,000 or more men into lives of slavery. A captain of a slave ship. Has been made a slave himself. Think about just a moment, if you will, what men feel. Look back at the Scriptures. Let this be my witness for you. I'm going to call some witnesses forth for you. If you look in, in, in Matthew chapter 8, before you get to the story of the demoniac, what do you find? Well, after Jesus comes down from the mountain and teaching the Sermon on the Mount, what's the first thing He encounters? He encounters a leper. A sick man. A man that is unclean. And He says, Lord, if You would, You could heal me. And Jesus said, I will. And I'm going to hurry through this, remembering this, that these narratives that I'm going to give you, first of all, and before there anything else, are a revelation of the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. Always remember this. I will, said Christ, be thou clean. Can you imagine? This man's unclean. He's not accepted in society. Nobody wants to touch him. But now all of a sudden, he's well. You think he felt anything? What do you think his story was when he went home? And then there's a centurion. That's the next thing that happens. He encounters Jesus and he says to Jesus, Lord, there I have a servant that's sick. And Jesus heals that man. Says, go home, your servant's going to be okay. And he was. Wonder what he felt. Wonder what his story was. He had a story. He probably went and told everyone what great things the Lord had done for him. Him. And then, what happens next? Well, we find our Lord Jesus in the midst of a feverish situation. He's in Peter's house. Peter's mother-in-law's sick on the couch with a fever. What did Jesus do <laughs> in Peter's house? He walked over and he touched her. And he prayed for her. She got well. She went about waiting on everybody. What do you think the story was there? What do you think it was said around around Peter's household about the Lord Jesus Christ? Who is this man? The leper? The centurion? Now Peter's Peter, Peter's mother-in-law, look at her. She was sick. She had a fever. My goodness. And the next thing that happens, he's on the Sea of Galilee and there's several boats, not just one boat. And he's with several men and he's asleep in the boat. And you read Matthew's account of this and Mark's too, Luke's. And a storm rages. Wind comes up. I believe it was demonic activity, but anyhow. A wind comes up. The waves begin to rise. They crash 
against the boats. The wind is howling. The boats are beginning to fill with water. And the Lord is asleep and they rush to Him fearful. Fearful and they say, Lord, don't you care that we perish? (laughs) What a foolish question. Don't they know that God decreed this? Don't they know anything about the providence of God? Were they concerned? And so Jesus awakes. And you find in Matthew's account that before He calmed the storm and the wind and the waves to stillness, He sought to calm the fears of the men in the boat with Him. Read it. What's wrong with you? Have you yet so little faith? Why are you afraid? And then he rises and he calms the storm. Speaks to it. And then they get afraid again. <laughs> they get afraid that the, the, the water becomes like glass. And they go, who is this man? <laughs> that even the waves and the wind, the sea itself becomes like glass. Can you picture that? They've got a story God has given us these stories to tell us something about Himself and the character of Jesus and who He is and what He does in these situations. You go fast forward past the demoniac and what do you find? Jairus. Jesus, when He gets back across the Sea of Galilee, is encountered by a crowd as a man breaks through the crowd and His name is Jairus and He says, Jesus, my, my daughter is at death's door. Jesus says, never fear. And he goes with him. And on the way to Jairus' house, what happens? He's a crowd around him. And a woman has heard about him. And she touches his garment. She's a woman that's been sick with an issue of blood for 12 years. Her finances are drawn up. Can you ladies imagine what she was going through? And she was healed and Christ said, power's gone from me. Never fear, daughter. You think she didn't feel something? You think she didn't have a story to tell when she went home? She went home and told her friends. And then she goes to Jairus' house. He goes to Jairus' house and the people say, don't bother the master any longer. She's dead. The man's daughter is dead. And Jesus said, no, she's not. He's just asleep. And they laugh at him. They laugh at him. And he puts them out. He said, y'all come in. Peter, James, John, mom, dad. And he hey, this is an unclean thing for him to do again. He takes her by the hand. The dead person. It's his daughter. Arise. <laughs> She gets up. You think that house felt something? Go tell, Jarius. Go tell, lady with the issue of the blood. Go tell, disciples and all the other men that are in the boat. There wasn't just one boat going across Galilee with Jesus. There were several of them. Go tell, centurion. Go tell, mother-in-law of Peter. Go tell, leper. Go tell your story. What great things 
the Lord has done for you. What a mighty God we serve. What a compassionate Lord we have. And so, there's never a more interesting story. And so we have songs like Amazing Grace. Go home. Tell your friends. Tell your friends. I would like to ask you, young man, before you tell anybody else, have you told your family and friends your story? And they may become your enemies, but you're not theirs. You're not theirs. Tell how you were a lost sinner. Tell how the Lord came to you. Tell how you bowed your knees and poured out your soul before God. And tell, tell maybe how you leaped with joy when you heard His voice within your heart and it says to you, it is I, even I, that blots out your transgressions for my name's sake and I will remember your sins no more. Tell your friends the story of your own personal experience. But I want you to understand something. It's very important that you do. This is a story of free grace. It's free grace. It's not tell your friends what great things that you've done yourself. That's not what it is. But what great things the Lord has done for you. The man or people who dwell upon free will and the power of the creature and deny the doctrines of grace, they're going to always mix up what they have done or what a man has done himself in telling his experience. It becomes more about him and his experience than the Lord Jesus Christ. But the believer in free grace which is, I believe, a cardinal truth of the Gospel, declares, I will tell what the Lord has done for me. You know, I know that I have to tell. I have to tell the story of how I was first made to pray. But here's what I'll say. It's grace that's taught me to pray. It's amazing grace that taught me to pray. And grace that gave me tears of repentance. And grace that gave me tears of joy. And it's true. I have to go and talk about, tell of my troubles, tell of my trials. But I'm going to say, it grace that brought my heart to fear. Grace my fears relieved. I'm going to say, through many dangers, toils and snares, I've already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me on. Friends, we don't speak about our doings, about our prayings, about our seekings, about our willings. No, not first. We ascribe it all to our great God who looks on sinners in love and makes us His children and makes us heirs of eternal life. That's what we talk about. We ascribe it all to Him. I am what I am by the grace of God. Go home to your friends and tell them. Tell them of the mighty works of God's free 
sovereign and undeserved love in your life. Tell them about it. Let me let me read this to you. 467 in the Red Trinity hymnal. What a wonder. Wonderful grace of Jesus. Greater than all my sin. This is my story. This is the demoniac story. How shall my tongue describe it? Where shall its praises begin? Taking away my burden, setting my spirit free. For the wonderful grace of Jesus reaches me. Verse 2. Wonderful grace of Jesus reaching a mighty host. By it I have been pardoned, saved to the uttermost. Chains have been torn asunder, giving me liberty. For the wonderful grace of Jesus reaches me. Wonderful grace of Jesus reaching the most defiled. By its transforming power, making Him God's dear child. Oh, the most defiled, making Him God's dear child. Purchasing peace and heaven for all eternity. And the wonderful grace of Jesus reaches me. Wonderful, the matchless grace of Jesus, deeper than the mighty rolling sea. Wonderful grace all sufficient for me, for even me, broader than the scope of my transgressions, greater far than all my sin and shame. Oh, magnify the precious name of Jesus. Praise His name. Oh, man had a story that was, he felt, he had an experience that he'd known. And it's, it's going on. His biography is getting thicker and thicker and thicker as he gets or grows old. He writes it himself. So it's free grace. And you know, the personal experience that speaks of the free grace is always going to be a grateful story. Grateful. A man who is grateful. You ever been grateful for something? A man who is grateful is always full of something. He's full of the greatness of the mercy which God has shown him. He's full of it. He always thinks that what God has done for him is wonderful. It's wonderful. It is supremely great. And yes, I'll use the word now. It is awesomely good. Beyond any good that you can ever imagine, what God has done in us is awesomely good. (laughs) Oh, but somebody might say to you when you're home with your friends and your neighbors and in your family, oh yes, so what? (laughs) What's the big deal with that? I don't think it's a big deal. But you can answer him. I want to encourage you, my friend, to answer him and say, it might not be a big deal to you. It may not be a great thing to you. It may be small to you. But it is great to me. It's great to me. And so you look at him. And you say to him, 
It's no small thing for me to have been granted grace to repent. To see myself for what I really am. To know that I am a sinner and to confess it. And not only to know that I am a sinner and to confess it, and know that I need to repent and be given grace to repent, but to have found the Savior. That's no little thing. Tell them that. Look them in the face and say, if you knew Him who has saved me, if you knew Him, you wouldn't think it a little thing. If you knew this weight, this burden, this pollution, this guilt that I have carried for years. If you knew, if you had known it as a weight and power on you all these years, you would not think it's such a small thing to be set free from it then. So it's not a small thing for me. I've been set free from it. Through a glimpse of the cross. No small thing. Tell them, my friends. Tell them, I challenge you. I beseech you. Tell them what great things the Lord has done for you. You. And if they, if they might not see the greatness which some of them won't. Then you pray for them. You weep for them. And you let them see your earnest. You let them see that at least you are grateful. Give thanks, you say, with a grateful heart. That's what the psalmist did. They see that you are grateful. You're grateful for the things that the Lord has done for you. Even if they aren't. Now, I want to encourage you after 70 years or 50 years of being a Christian. These are things I know to be true, friends. Through the Word of God. Through experience. Tell your story, and each of you have a story. As a poor sinner, that's how you tell it. You tell your story as a man who feels that he doesn't deserve what he's received. You tell it like this, the Lord had compassion on me. The Lord had mercy on me. This wasn't a mere act of kindness. But with this demoniac, this is an act of free compassion towards someone in misery. And so it's true with you and I. An act of compassion towards someone in misery. But some people, and I've been guilty of this, When I was first saved, people sought me out to give my testimony, which they should have never done. Put me behind the pulpit, which they should have never done without controlling it. Some men tell of their conversion, tell of their conversion, tell of their spiritual life, and they speak of their sins 
as if they're boasting in the greatness of their crimes. They laugh about the sins. Make a joke about the sins that they committed. Talk long, long, long about the depth of their depravities. And people know the depth of their depravities. People knew the depth of my depravities, even though they may not have looked at it like that. When God pulled me out of the pit, long, 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 boasting in the greatness of their crimes. And what you don't see, what you don't see are the tears of gratitude when the love of God is mentioned and the simple, simple, simple thanksgiving of a humble heart. He had compassion on me. I don't deserve this. <laughs> oh, thank you, Lord. Let me tell you the wonderful thing. Things He's done. But they give their testimonies as if they exalt themselves as much as they do God. It should be. It should be with sorrow that we remember what we used to be. And with great, great, great gratitude that we remember how little we deserve these wonderful blessings which God has so richly bestowed upon us. Don't go home with a haughty air. With a haughty air as if you're saying, here's the saint, come home. Here's the professor. Come home to your poor sinners. I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to straighten your doctrines out. A time of doctrinal teaching may come, and I pray that it does. But please understand what I'm saying. You have no business teaching doctrinal statements if you don't know what I'm talking about. What has the Lord done for you? You. 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 No. Go home like a poor sinner. Remember what you used to be. Remember from whence you came. Remember, O man, that it is only the grace of God that causes you to differ. Remember that you have received the gift that you've been saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourself, my friends, it is the gift of God that no man might boast. Now you're no longer a stranger to the covenant of promise. Now you're no longer a man without God and thus without hope in the world. Why? Because God has had compassion upon you. So we say, well, why, why should we tell this story? Especially when it seems hard to tell to some people. I mean, it's kind of hard to tell to my brother. He's, you know, or my in-laws. They might. 
not like that. It might cause disturbances. Probably will. I'd encourage you, though, before you get in front of the crowd, to get them off one by one and talk to them, tell them what great things. If it's possible, pray for it. End this by telling you how to go about that. I'll tell you why you do it. You do it for your dear Master's sake. For Jesus' sake. You know that He loves you, don't you? And that means you love Him. You love Him. You can never think, I don't believe of Gethsemane and His agony and the sweat of blood. You can never think of Pilate's hall, of the place of the skull and the whip and His back flayed open. You can never think of Him hanging on Calvary's tree in Golgotha. Pierced hands, pierced feet, pierced side, by himself, alone. You could never think those things without loving him, could you? You could never think about him. I would suggest to you that's a very, very, very strong argument as to why you should, for the sake of him who loved you so much, go home and tell it. Go home. Tell your friends. What great things the Lord has done for you. Describe what I've just described. What? Do you think? Do you think? Do you think that we can have so much done for us and yet not tell it? You are my witnesses to the uttermost parts of the earth. You are my witnesses at your home. I have decreed you a home. I have given you a father and a mother and a sister and a brothers and sister, more brothers, children and grandchildren. I have given these to you. They are your heritage. Can we think that someone can do so much for us and we not tell it? Well, let me ask you something. <clears throat> Will you let your children outdo you? In this season that we're in, when they receive a favor, when they receive a gift for somebody, they open up a gift and they see it and they go and say, Look, Bill, look, Bill, what David has got for me. Look what David has given me. Look what David has done for me. They're not backward in it at all. And if they were backward in failing to give him thanks, what would you do? You would correct them, wouldn't you? You should go tell thank, give people thanks for what they've done for you and maybe tell other people, and they will. It's just a natural instinct in them. They're going to say, look here, look here what Papa got for me. Look here what Nana got for me. Look, let me show you this thing. Should we then be backward? Should we be slow? We who are the children of God, should we be slow in declaring how we were saved? 
And as it were, running wide open with wings on our feet, headed straight to the flames of hell, and how redeeming mercy snatched us out of the very fires of hell, should we be slow or backward? I'll just ask you, do you love Jesus? Well, I'll put it to you. If you love Jesus, will you refuse to tell the tale of His love for you? Will you be so bold? Do you have that story to tell coming from the depths of your heart? Shall your lips be dumb when His honor is concerned, where truth is concerned? Will you... Whenever you go, wherever you go, tell, wherever it is, of the love of God and the only begotten who died for you. Notice verse 5 with me. Verse 20 in Mark 5 in our text. (laughs) Oh my. And he went away. He's asked. Lord, let me go with you. And the Lord's told him, no, go home to your friends. And then he went away. And he began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Do you doubt that they marveled? He went and he did what Jesus said. All over ten city states. He was the first, I believe, Gentile convert. All over. It will be the same with you. It will be. You can't help it. If Christ has done much for you, you can't help it. You will tell it. Some of you may have grown lukewarm in this. Got tired of getting beat up because of that. Go home to your friends. Can you imagine with me just for a moment? Can you imagine with me the scene when this poor wretch, this demoniac went home? (laughs) Have you ever thought about that? This guy had been living in the tombs, howling at night. Superhuman strength. Tearing chains off, breaking shackles into. Wilder than a beast, nobody can tame him. He'd been a raving madman. And he's headed home. He's not driving there in a car. No taxis. He's walking home. Not sure exactly where home was at, but he was walking home. And I can see on his way home, can't you see it? Friends of the family. He hadn't got home yet, and so there's, there's family. There's family down the road, but there's friends of the family. They're crying out. They're looking at him and saying, Oh my, look! Look who this is. In fear, they're crying out, there he is. We've heard him howling at night. Little children have been told tales of him. He's frightening people. They're closing their windows and they're locking their doors. What's he doing here? And then, then, can you picture the joy when he called out, Mother, Mother, 
Mother. <laughs> How long since she'd heard that? Mother, Jesus Christ has healed me. Let me in. I'm not a lunatic now. And when the father opens the door and he says, Father, Father, I'm not what I was. I'm free. The evil spirits are cast out. I'm not going to, I'm not going to live in the tombs any longer. So let me tell you then, let me tell you, Father, let me tell you, Mother, let me tell you, neighbor, about this wonderful man who accomplished this miracle and gave me deliverance and cast the devils out and sent me home. Sent me home. Are you hearing me? Healed and saved. He had a story. He had an experience. There's a lot of doctrine involved in it. John chapter 20 tells us the end of what the gospel narratives have in mind. There's a, there's this, John says there's, if we wrote down everything in verses 30 through 31 that Jesus did, the world can contain the books. But we've written down some so that you reading this might know and that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That Jesus is the Christ. And that in believing, you shall have life. That's what it's all about. Thank you, Jesus. Let me ask you something. Are you here this morning? Are you possessed with sin? The sin have control in your life? Jesus Christ is here, can and will set you free. Call me. Talk to me after this is over with today. Come to my house. I'll welcome you. I'll pray with you. I'll cry with you. We'll go to the throne of grace together. He can and He will set you free. And you can, when that happens, go home to your friends and tell them of your release. The scene. I think when you went home, if it was anything like mine, would be something similar to what I've tried to describe so inadequately with the demoniac coming home. I couldn't remember after Jesus saved my soul. The last time that I told my mother that I loved her. I couldn't remember it. I had to get to a phone. The first thing I had to do was say, Mama, Mother, I've been saved. Prayers have been answered. And mother, I love you. And she said, I don't know where you're at. But come home. <laughs> I went home to my friends. And I began to tell them. And I've been telling them and I've had some lapses. What great things, wonderful things. Glorious, awesome doings of God in my life. 
So tell your story. We'll close with these few points. Tell your story and tell it truthfully. Tell it humbly and earnestly and tell it devoutly. When I say truthfully, I just want to simply say to you, don't tell Bunyan's story. It's a good story and it can help you. Don't tell, as I've already said, Rutherford's feelings. He can help you with your feelings and bring you some proper words and help you and guide you. Thank God for these men that God has given us. Tell your story. Do it humbly. Humbly. Don't press yourself upon the older. Don't be haughty. Don't be haughty. Don't, don't be a big shot. Don't be proud and arrogant. And do it earnestly. <clears throat> Let them see that you mean it. Don't speak of these things flippantly when you tell your story. I used to tell stories and people would laugh and I'd have them laughing and stitch it about all the things I'd been into. It breaks my heart that I did that. Don't joke. Don't laugh at your past sins. And do it devoutly. Don't tell your story to men before you tell it to God. Go before God with your story and rehearse it with God. Go through all the things that God has done for you. Then you can tell it. You can tell it to men. People are at your home. Maybe you can do this next Christmas or you're at their home. Are you a Christian? Then don't let them see your face until God has seen it that morning. Get up. Get up. And perhaps the people in your home aren't Christians. Well, wrestle. Wrestle with God for them. Wrestle with God for them. And then it'll be easier for you to wrestle with them for God. If you wrestle with God for them first. How many of you have been wrestling with God for them? Jesus didn't give the demoniac, even though he had many devils, he didn't give him to hell. Let, my friends, then, your reliance upon the Holy Spirit be complete. Be honest. Don't trust yourself. And don't be afraid to trust Him. Don't be afraid to trust Him. And may God grant grace to all who hear your story. Your story. We all have a story. We're all witnesses. Amen. Thank you. Just pray with me if you would please.
Oh, Lord. You are so great. Glorious. You are God. And you are greatly to be praised. Your greatness is unsearchable. I know that we can never uncover your greatness. We can never fully understand you. You who are almighty God. I cannot adequately, I know, proclaim your wondrous works. And I cannot declare all the praise that you deserve. For there's none like you, O God. You're majestic in holiness. You're awesome in glory. And you work wondrous works. No one can do any works like yours. For you're great. And you do wondrous things. We rejoice in the wonder of your love for us. This morning. And ask that you open our blind eyes. Open our dull ears and teach our hearts. Help us to see today the greatness, the greatness of your love and compassion in the face of Christ this day. And work in each of us that which is pleasing unto you. And we seek this morning to do what you, by the Holy Spirit through Paul, told us to do in light of what we heard and read. Therefore, we seek in spirit and in truth to present our bodies to you as living and holy sacrifices. May they be acceptable in our spirit, soul, and mind in all that we are. Our reasonable service of worship. With our hearts open and our hands lifted up. We reach out and praise to you. Oh, dear God, our Savior, in Jesus' name, amen.